fantastic. Oh, it's great to, to be together, isn't it? Um, I don't know how many of you have ever had um, a kind of a DIY project, or um, maybe if you're uh, not kind of so DIY focused, maybe a craft project is, uh, is something that you would relate to a little bit better. Um, or maybe you've had a time where you've made a decision uh, that you're going to do something, and it, and it might not be that you're going to make something, but instead you're going to do something, or you're going to make some changes um, in your life, and you start out confident, and you start out, you know, full of excitement about what it is that you're going to achieve, this thing that you're going to make, this change that you're going to do, and, and what's going to happen as a result of it. Only to find as you get going that maybe you're not quite as competent as you thought you were with a drill. Or maybe you're not quite as competent as you thought you were in some other way. Or, or maybe the project that you've taken on, the thing that you're wanting to change in your life, is that bit more challenging or more difficult than you thought it would be. And in a relatively short space of time, in one way or another, you crash and burn. Anyone had one of those times where you set out confident, but in the end it all went wrong? And you just kind of crashed and burned. You know, there's one man who, who went through this. And, and when we say that he crashed and burned, we don't just mean that he kind of failed, which is what we normally mean when we say crashed and burned. He literally crashed and burned. This is a guy called Elon Musk. Um, he's in the news quite a bit um, these days, and he's, he's often quite a bit of a controversial figure. But one of the businesses that he has is a, a space technology company called SpaceX. Uh, and he said about working on how to greatly reduce the cost of space flight by um, designing space rocket boosters that were reusable. Um, and so he had to design them in such a way that they were able to, to come back to Earth and land themselves so that they were able to be refilled and reused for, for sending another rocket up into to space. Recently, they've been fairly successful with it, but it started with a lot of crashing and burning. It started with a lot of failure. It might seem a little bit strange comparing us to, to rocket boosters, but I think that almost all of us would relate to the fact that we face times in life where we feel like we crash and burn. Where we feel like we've messed up, like we've blown it. That we've failed, we've let people down, we've let ourselves down and we've let God down. And often in these moments, they, they come at the times when we least expect it. And that can make it even harder. You know, even when it comes to our relationship with God, even when it comes to our faith, so often I think we can have those moments where we, we feel like we're on top of the world. We feel like we're in this great place. Like We feel like, God, I love you so much. I would do anything for you. I'd give everything for you. I just want to follow you with my life. And we're in this place where everything is there. I'm never going to get caught up in that temptation again. It's done. In that moment, we mean every word of it. We're sincere. And yet a few weeks or days or hours later, we feel like we've crashed and we've burned. We're back where we were before with the same struggles and the same battles. And we can feel like we've failed. We can feel like we've, we've blown it. We can feel like we've let ourselves down. We've let other people down and we've let God down. And sometimes we can end up feeling like, well, this is, this is just me. I'm just going to live with it. I've got to put up with it. This is 
just my lot. I'm stuck. I can't seem to move forwards. And it can be hard sometimes when we're in that place to know how we can recover from it. It can be hard to know how to get out of the pit. And so so today we're continuing this series, Jesus in Focus. And I want us to to look at how Jesus responds to us in those times when we crash and burn. How Jesus responds to us in those times when we feel like we've blown it. When we feel like we've failed. You know, and if there's one character in the Bible who I think we can relate to in this probably more than any other, it's Peter. Peter. You know, time and again, Peter has these moments where he he feels like he's on top of the world, like he could take on everything, like he's he's just going to get it all right, and he's full of faith, and he's confident that he can do it. He seems to be, be heading in the right direction, and we look at Peter and go, wow. Only for him to crash and burn moments or hours later. You know, in Matthew 14, we, we read about how when he sees Jesus walking on the water, he, he says to Jesus, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come and I'll come. And so Jesus says to him, come. And he leaps out of the boat and he's walking on the water and his eyes are on Jesus. He's full of faith. And it's this amazing moment where he must have been on top of the world. And then he looks away from Jesus and he sees the wind and he sees the waves. And suddenly fear comes in and he starts to sink. And Jesus walks over to him, and I can imagine him there putting his hand out and pulling him up, and he says to Peter, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? And in moments, Peter goes from being a man of faith to a man of fear. He crashed and he burned. Then in Matthew 16, Jesus asks his his followers, who do you say I am? And and Peter is the one who responds and says, you are the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus turns to him and he says, you've got it. God has revealed this to you. This isn't something you could know just on your own. You are blessed. Amazing moment. When Jesus says to you something like that, And then a few verses later, Jesus is explaining to the same group how he's going to have to die as part of God's plan. And and what does Peter do? He he takes Jesus to one side. It's almost like he puts his arm around and takes him to one side and he tells him off. He rebukes him. He says, no! And what does Jesus say to him? Having just said, you're blessed. God must have revealed this to you for you to understand it. He then turns to Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You are so focused on what you want and the way that human things work that you're missing God's plan and what he's trying to do. And in moments, Peter goes from this guy who is blessed and must be on top of the world to a guy who's described as the stumbling block. And he's crashed. And he's burned. But the time that I think must have really hit Peter, and that he found hard to recover from, that he didn't know how he could move forwards from, comes towards the end of Jesus' life. And it's the night that Jesus is arrested. The day before he dies, and 
Jesus says to the disciples, this night, all of you are going to abandon me. All of you are going to be scattered. You're going to run away. And Peter, rather than sitting there and taking this in and trying to reflect on what it is that Jesus has just said, he, he just kind of responds impulsively and he says, even if everybody else does that, I never will. I'll never betray you. I'll never abandon you. I would rather die with you. I love you so much that I would sacrifice everything for you. I love you more than all of these guys. They might do it, but not me. And Jesus replies to me and says, you know, I love your heart, Peter. But before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me. You're going to betray me three times. And he does. Later that night, Jesus is arrested. And he's taken and he's put on trial. And Peter knows where they've taken him. He knows that they've gone to the, to the house of the high priest. And so he, he follows them there and he goes there and he's in the, the courtyard in that place. And less than 50 feet away, Jesus is being interrogated and mocked and spat on. But now Peter isn't surrounded by the other disciples. He's not safe in a room where they're having food together. He's in a courtyard with soldiers and officials who he knows are against him. So he's not so bold, now he's scared. And a servant girl there, probably the kind of person who would be the least intimidating person you can imagine. A servant girl there, someone with no status whatsoever, says to Peter, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? Aren't you one of his followers? And Peter says, no, no, I'm not. And as he stands there, he warms himself on this charcoal fire with the other guys. And then another servant turns to him and says, you know, wait a second, I recognize that accent. You're, you're from Galilee with that accent. You must be one of Jesus' followers, surely. And Peter says, no, I don't even know the man. And then another of the servants there, they wouldn't let it go. Because you see, their cousin was the guy who Peter tried to chop the ear off of in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so he says, no, no, I recognize you. I saw you in the garden. You tried to chop off the ear of my cousin. And Peter says, no, I wasn't there. I don't know Jesus. It's not me. And he curses at them and he swears to them. This wasn't me. I don't know him. And in a moment, Jesus, so in the moment, Peter has done the very thing that he promised to Jesus that he would never do. And he runs outside and he starts to weep bitterly. It hits him what he's done. And we can think, how did he get there? How could he do that? But the reality is, if we're honest, that we all know all too easily how he got there. We all know all too easily how it happened. Because we've all had moments when we did something or we said something and instantly we regretted it and we wished we could take it back and it had never happened. But we can't. And though we've all had those moments when life kind of pounces on us when we're feeling weak and vulnerable and when we're scared. 
and we discover that we're not, we're not the person who we hoped we were. We're not the person who, when life was all going well, we thought we were. And we find instead that we've crashed and we've burned. And I think this must have eaten Peter up inside. It must have completely destroyed him. He felt so much guilt and shame. Even after Jesus was was raised again, even after he'd met Jesus and he'd seen him and he knew he was alive, I think he was still battling with this, this guilt over betraying Jesus. He didn't know how he could ever recover from that. Yes, he knew Jesus was alive and he had relationship with him again. But how could he recover from that? How could he go back to, to being one of Jesus' kind of closest friends and his followers? Someone who was, who was gonna, that Jesus was going to build the church on. And so what does he do? He goes back to the Sea of Galilee and he starts to do the only other thing that he knows how to do. He goes fishing. And he takes six of the other disciples with him. And they go out and they fish all night, but they don't catch anything. When the sun's coming up in the morning, their nets are empty. And then this is what we read in John chapter 21. This is from verse 4. It says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And in this moment, John figures it out. John's with them on the boat and he figures it out. He remembers a moment three years ago when they'd had a night on the very same lake they're on now, when they'd been fishing all night and when they hadn't caught anything, and then this stranger on the shore had said to them, cast your net on the other side of the boat, and when they did, they'd hauled in all of these fish. And this is an amazing moment for Peter, because you see, three years ago when this had happened, was the moment when Jesus, when, when Peter's eyes were opened to see Jesus for who he was. The moment when he fell on his knees before Jesus. And he said, get away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. And Jesus' response to him was, I'm, I haven't come to condemn you. I haven't come to point out all of your failures. I've come to change your life. Come. Come and follow me. This was the moment when Peter's relationship with Jesus began. And now here is Peter. Having denied Jesus three times, feeling full of guilt, knowing that he's a mess, knowing that he's a sinful man, knowing that he's he's broken. So aware of that. And Jesus is reaching out to Peter. Showing him that he's not been written off. Showing him that nothing has changed. And so he recreates the exact same miracle which he'd done for for Peter right at the beginning when, when Peter had first encountered Jesus. He recreates the exact same miracle. The moment when he invited Peter to come and follow him. I think Jesus is is saying to Peter, do you remember when this all started? 
I haven't put you aside. I haven't written you off. You haven't disqualified yourself because of what you've done. Come and follow me. You were a sinful man then and I loved you enough and I reached out to you in the midst of that. Not to condemn you, but to change your life. Nothing's changed. You're still a sinful man now, but I still love you enough and I'm still reaching out to you and I'm still saying, come, follow me. Not to condemn you and beat you up, but so that I can give you hope and I can change your life. Isn't that beautiful? And I think John connects the dots and so he turns to to Peter and he says to Peter, it's the Lord. And Peter in this moment, he realizes what's going on and this hope is rekindled. And he, he does the crazy thing, you know, when we jump into water, we take our clothes off. Peter puts his clothes on and then he leaps into the water and he dashes to get to Peter as fast as he can. And when he gets there, Jesus simply invites him to come and have breakfast with him. Come and sit down and eat with me. I've cooked it already. And I think the first thing that we see that Jesus does to, to help us to recover from our moments of failure, from those moments when we feel like we've crashed and burned, when we've messed it all up, when we've blown it, is he simply reaches out to us. You know, Jesus is reaching out to you to reassure you that he loves you, to reassure you that he accepts you, to reassure you that nothing's changed, that you weren't perfect when you started following him. You're still not perfect now. The same invitation is on the table. Receive my forgiveness. Come and follow me. There is nothing that you have done. There is nothing that's been done to you. There's nothing that you've been through or that you've suffered that disqualifies you from following Jesus. In the midst of our failure, when we feel like we've crashed and burned, when we would write ourselves off, Jesus reaches out to us with love. And he says, come. Come follow me. But he doesn't stop there. And the next part I think must have been painful for Peter. Because Jesus knows that if we're really going to be free from our past, then however hard it is, we have to face it. Because you see, Jesus loved Peter too much to leave him bound, to leave him limited by past failure. Jesus understands that that when we, we mess up, when we feel like we've failed in some way, what can so often happen is that we end up feeling bound up by guilt and shame and fear. And one of the keys to, to finding freedom is not to, to ignore the problem, is not to pretend it never happened, is not to, to put a mask on and just say, you know what, I've dealt with it, I've sorted it, all's okay, I've got a smile on my face, I'm just getting through life. But that actually one of the keys to becoming truly free is facing it. Is acknowledging what's really happened. 
And the good news is that Jesus has paid the price for our past. And he is reaching out to us in the present to set us free. So that we can move forwards once and for all. So that we're no longer held back or limited or controlled by anything which has gone on in our past. You see, Jesus loved Peter. And he loves us too much to just deal with what's going on on the surface. So often we just kind of come to Jesus with what's going on on the surface of our lives and we want him to just kind of make us feel better. And what Jesus really wants to do is he wants to deal with the deep, set, rooted issues and problems and hurts and pains, insecurities and fears that are the real things that hold us back. I'm not a, uh, a great gardener. Rosie will, uh, will happily tell you that. She, uh, she does all the kind of flower beds and all of that kind of thing. I'll destroy stuff, tear it down, but, um, but kind of making everything look pretty, that's not my thing. But, you know, in our, um, at the front of our house, we've got a brick uh, drive. And in our brick drive, one of the things which I hate and is a bugbear of my life are the weeds. Um, and the reason that I hate them is because every year I will get one by more weed killer and I will spray them with weed killer um, until they're completely drenched and I will pull the things up and uh, I'll get the pressure hose out sometimes and I'll try and kind of go between the bricks and get everything gone and make it all nice. And the next year, the weeds are back again. I hate it. Never seem to be able to deal with them. Because the only way that you deal with weeds is to get the roots up. And that's really hard to do when it's a brick drive. And Jesus knows that even though it may be painful, it's the same with us. That God wants to dig down and to go deep. To deal with the weeds. To deal with the real issues. To deal with the the roots. Because he doesn't want us just to, like, I make the drive look pretty, but nothing's actually changed. He doesn't want to just make us look good on the surface. He doesn't want to just do a temporary fix where everything's okay for a season, but actually it's all there deep down and it's still going to come back up again. He wants you to be truly free. He wants his love to go deep into your heart. To go deep into your lives and to deal with the roots so that we can be truly free. And Jesus knows that this can be painful. But he also knows it's the only way for us to be fully free. Fully free from our past is for us to have to face it. And so when it comes to Peter, Jesus begins by recreating this moment when he first kind of called Peter to follow him. This moment that reassures Peter his love. This moment that reassures Peter that he's still accepted, that nothing's changed, that he loves him. This great moment that reassures him. But then he begins to recreate the moment that Peter feels so guilty and shameful about. And he brings him face to face with his shame. Not to condemn him, not to beat him up, not to make him have to answer the question of how he could do it, but so that he could be free. 
And I think this all starts when Peter gets to the beach and Jesus is there cooking breakfast. And we miss it so easily. It's a, but it, one of the things which is, is just fascinating in this is, you know, we can read about fire all over the, the, the Bible, but there is only two places in the whole of the Bible where it talks about fire in a very specific way. One of them is here as it talks about how Jesus is cooking the breakfast on a charcoal fire. The only other place where that fire is mentioned in that specific way of this charcoal fire is the moment when Peter warms himself by the fire and denies Jesus three times. And I don't think that's an accident. Jesus is beginning to prepare Peter to bring him face to face to remind him of what had happened. To recreate that moment of his guilt and his shame that he's carrying in order to set him free. So he starts by showing him that he loves him, that he's accepted. He reassures him of that. But then he says, now we've got to deal with this. Now we've got to go back and deal with this moment. I love you too much to let that one moment be something that starts to define your life and controls you and holds you back and limits you. I love you too much to allow that one moment to hang over you for the rest of your life. We're going to have to face it. And so they eat breakfast together and Peter's faced with all of this and then Jesus turns to Peter and he doesn't say to Peter what you or I would. He doesn't say to Peter, how could you do it? He doesn't say to Peter, you've got to now work really hard and do all of these things to make up for what you've done so our relationship can get back together again because until you do that, I'm not going to trust you. Instead, Jesus asks Peter a really simple question. This is what we read in John 21, verses 15 to 17. It says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. And that's humbling in itself because Jesus has given him a new name. He doesn't use it. He takes him back to the time before he's the rock. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. In this moment, Jesus boils everything down to one question that matters more than anything else. Do you love me? When it comes to facing our failure and facing our shame and being free from it, the only thing that he asks is, do you love me? And if you want to feel the impact of that question, just stick your name at the front of that. Pete. Do you love me? Do you love me? 
Jesus is saying in the midst of everything that has happened, only one thing really matters. Do you love me? And why does he ask him three times? I think he asks him three times, not because he wants to, he's questioning him and he doesn't believe his answers, not because he's wanting to, to, to kind of rub his face in it and make him have to work for things. It's because he knows that Peter is feeling eaten up in guilt and shame over the fact that he denied him three times. And so he's giving him an opportunity to replace each one of those denials with a new declaration of love. But there's something else in this question that I think is easy for us to miss. You see, when Jesus asks Peter if he loves him, he uses a specific word. He asks Peter, and the word that he uses is, do you agape me? Do you love me with the highest form of love that is willing to sacrifice everything for me? And when Peter responds and he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He doesn't actually use the word that Jesus used. He doesn't say, yes, Lord, you know that I agape you. You know I love you with this highest form of love that will sacrifice everything. No, Peter says to Jesus, Jesus, you know that I filio you. You know that I'm fond of you. You know that I love you with a kind of brotherly love and an affection. It's not quite the same thing. I can't say the same thing, Jesus. It's not that high form of love that is willing to sacrifice everything. Because once upon a time, Jesus, I would have said that. Once upon a time, Jesus, I did say that. I said I loved you more than these. I said I was willing to sacrifice everything. I said I was willing to die for you. But then, then my actions showed that that just was not the case. I thought I loved you that much. But then I went and denied you three times. So how, how can I say that I love you in that kind of a way? In the past, I would have done it, but I've really, I've shown that the truth is that I love myself more than I love you because when I was afraid for my life, I put myself first. So Jesus, I can't say that I agape you. I can't say I love you more than everything else. I can't say that, but I, I filio you. I'm fond of you. I've got an affection for you. I love you in that way. Just, I'm not sure I can quite say what it is that you're asking me. And then Jesus asks him again, and and Peter gives the same response. And let's be honest, I think we all probably relate to Peter here, don't we? I think the reality is that there are probably times in all of our lives when we don't love Jesus in the way that he asks us to love him. We don't love Jesus in a way which puts him first and loves him with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, where we don't love him in a way which is willing to sacrifice everything. Certainly I know for me there are times when I can look back and even though there are times when I feel like that's the case, there are actions that I do, there are things that I say and I think which show that It's not always. And there are two things that I I find hope in here. For those times when I know that I'm not 
matching up, when I feel like I crash and burn. The first is that when Jesus asks Peter the third time, do you love me? He doesn't say, do you agape me? Do you love me with this self-sacrificial love that will give everything for me and a love that will put me first? Instead, he says to Peter, do you filio me then? You can't quite go to saying you agape me, but do you filio me? Do you love me with a brotherly love? And it's almost like Jesus is saying, look, I get it, Peter. I know you can't go there right now. I don't know that you don't feel you can quite commit to that right now. I, I, I get that. Let me meet you where you're at. I accept you where you're at. I'll take your filio love. Let's work from there. It's not going to stop anything. It's not going to ruin our relationship. It's not going to exclude you from serving me. It's not going to mean that you don't, you're going to miss out on your destiny and the purpose that I have for your life, this ministry of feeding sheep and taking care of them, of, of teaching and looking after my followers. Jesus accepts Peter where he's at. I find that so encouraging. And the second thing is that, that Jesus, in the few verses afterwards, he starts to talk to Peter about his future. And he says to him, you know, you, you might feel like you're not in a place where you can say that you love me in that self-sacrificial way where you'd lay down your life for me. But do you know, Peter, as you follow me, as you begin this journey with me with filio love, as you start to, to give your life for me and you, you serve me in this kind of a way, do you know there's going to be a time as you get older when your love is going to be great. There's going to be a time when you get older and the reality is that you will love me with an agape love. You will lay down your life for me. You will sacrifice everything for me. You know, it might not be there now, but Peter, that doesn't mean you're stuck where you are forever. There is a hope. There is a future. There is a purpose that I have for you. A journey that I'm going to take you on and you will grow in your love for me. You will become the man that you always hoped you were. You will become the man that I always made you to be. The man who loves me above everything else. Now the amazing thing that we see with how Jesus treats Peter is that that Jesus never sees our failure as final. He never sees our past as defining us. Or limiting us. Jesus is always at work reaching out to us to reassure us of his love. To set us free from our past. And to commission us again for the purpose and the future and the destiny that he has for us. To become the men and women that he made us to be. You know, I think that's what Jesus is about this morning. You know, I don't know the different things that you you carry with you from your past. I don't know the different things that you're struggling with in the present. Not all of them. But Jesus does. And his heart and his purpose today is to reach out to you. Is to dig deep, to go to the roots. To let you know how much he loves you and to begin that process of setting you free. So that you can become the person that he made you to be. And for some of you that may simply involve being reassured of God's love for you today.
being reassured that no matter what has gone on in your past, that nothing has changed. That you were a sinful person who made mistakes the day that you decided you were going to start following Jesus. He didn't exclude you then, he loved you then, and he still loves you now. Jesus is still offering you the same invitation to come follow me. Receive my forgiveness and come follow me. And it's an invitation that he's longing for you to respond to today to say yes. To say yes for the first time or or like Peter to, to leap out of the boat as an act of recommitment and say yes to Jesus again. You know, for some of you though, God is... God is wanting to set you free from things in your past. This morning, Jesus wants to take you back to something you did or something that you went through. Something which has had a hold and defined something of who you are. Maybe it's something that you've tried to ignore and you've locked away, but it's still affecting you. And it, it can seem scary and it can be painful and it can be hard. But, but Jesus is coming alongside you today to, to bring you to that point of facing it. Not to condemn you, not to cause you hurt, not to cause you pain. But because he loves you too much to allow that to be what defines the rest of your life. He loves you too much to leave you in that place and he wants to set you free. saying to you, let's deal with this today. Let me forgive you. Let me heal you. Forgive yourself. Let me set you free. Let's move on and not allow this thing to define you and hold you back anymore. And lastly, I I believe Jesus is reaching out to people today who feel like they've missed their chance, that they've blown it, they've crashed and burned and that now you'll never be who you thought you were, were going to be or you hoped you were going to be. You're never going to fulfill that, that destiny which you, you felt like maybe God had on your life. The calling which you felt that God had given you. And if that's you today, then Jesus is wanting to meet you where you're at. He says, I accept you where you're at and it does not exclude you. Let me reaffirm your destiny again, as he did with Peter, as he said, feed my sheep, take care of my sheep. Let me reaffirm your purpose, your ministry, your destiny today, what it is that I have for you as you look to serve me. Know that I've got a great plan for your life, and you've not missed it. All I'm asking is, do you love me? Will you follow me? And if that's the case, then let's embark on an adventure together. You haven't missed a thing. I'm going to ask Jenny just to come up and begin to just just play. And we're going to make some space because this this isn't something I feel we can move on quickly from. And this isn't something that I can do and we can just kind of play a song and be done with it. This is about what Jesus wants to do here and now in each one of our hearts and each one of our lives in different ways. And so I just want to make some space for the Holy Spirit to come and to move amongst us and for, for you to be able to pray and to just take time with Jesus. And I want to encourage you to simply, first and foremost, receive from God. 
Don't try and make anything happen, but just receive from him. Let him reassure you of his love for you, that he's reaching out to you, that he's there for you. And see what it is that he wants to put his finger on. The things that he's wanting to bring to the surface. The things that he's wanting to begin to deal with. The roots that he's wanting to dig up so that you can be free. So that you can be healed. And just allow him to begin that process within you. Just respond to the invitation that he gives you. For you to love him. And for you to follow him. Because he is reaching out to every single one of you today.